Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'm going to tell you something about me you're probably not surprised to hear. In life, I'm not really what they call like an early adopter. You know what I'm talking about? Like the people who are like first to embrace new stuff, first to embrace new technology especially. Now that doesn't mean I don't ever move to whatever the new thing is, but I'm just a lot happier in life when I let people try stuff out for a little bit and let them tell me if they think it's good or not and if people who are smart and people who are probably braver than me want to move into like new stuff like I'm just I'm, I'm just happier to let them try first like I remember the first time anybody talked to me about Twitter this is going back many many years ago of course and they're like oh it's this like at the time they called it like a micro blogging site you could send a short message to people and my first response is why don't you just send them a text message like I had no vision for what like Twitter could be how big of a platform it could be how much easier it'd make communicating with a lot of people I just had no vision for that whatsoever I was a real late adopter to Twitter because that's just kind of the way that I do same thing with like uh <laughs> are y'all old enough to have had a TiVo like now everybody just calls them DVRs but it used to be you called them TiVos and I remember the very first time I heard about a TiVo once again, I was like, well, I've already got a VCR. Why do I need this TiVo thing? And I had just had no vision for how cool that was going to be because eventually I grew to love my TiVo and then switched to regular DVR. And now that sort of seems to come standard with the with the cable box. But the point is, is that when I first heard about it, the whole thing just seemed to be like an unnecessary level of technology just because I didn't quite have the vision to understand how cool that it would be. And that's kind of the story of my life over and over and over again fun new things get introduced i don't quite know what they are but if enough people that i trust try it they say they like it eventually i'll kind of move in that direction there as well in other words it's not that i am completely resistant to and unwilling to change i just sort of like to change slowly and i think that there's an example of that that's also true with kirby smart now not necessarily related to technology things like that i honestly don't know what smart's relationship with that kind of stuff is but there are examples of smart kirby smart the georgia coach on field as a coach that shows that smart is certainly not unwilling to change you can look at examples of his time over the course of being at georgia where he has moved in a different direction than maybe he once was but he does these things just more slowly than other people do and i do think that's a real hallmark of quality leadership i think successful people in life make up their mind quickly and then change their mind slowly. I just think that's kind of one of the recipes you know, for success in life, that when you have been convinced that something is the right thing, whether it be a principle or a tactic, when you are convinced that something's right, it ought to take you a long time and a lot of evidence to maybe move you know, in the direction that, uh, that, that you might have been wrong. You don't want to be kind of bouncing from one thing to the next very, very quickly because you never plant enough roots to truly enjoy great success in life. I think the Kirby Smart is an example of that. Now, my reason for saying all of that is to sort of say this. I saw an interesting quote as it relates to Georgia the other day, and I thought, you know, that's probably worth at least spending a few minutes on on the show. It comes from a guy named Bill Conley who was on a college football podcast called the, the, the Solid Verbal. Now, Conley's one of these, like, math dudes, like analytics-type experts, and I've told you before, like, at one point in time, 
I probably very much openly embraced like the fancy stats in college football and some of the advanced metrics that were gaining a lot of steam and popularity. The honest truth is I probably embraced some of that kind of stuff less than I used to. After all the years that it's been present within the sport, I don't think it's gotten more conversational to discuss it. That's one of the reasons why I've probably taken a step back from analytics a little bit. The other thing is, after all these years, I don't quite think some of those stats have proven to be quite as predictive as maybe some of the people who've been the architects of those stats were hoping they would be or say that they are. So in some respects, I probably don't embrace the kind of analytics that Bill Conley's famous for as much as I probably used to, but I do still think that Conley's kind of an interesting voice in the sport, and I guess I still do care about his opinion, even though I don't quite buy into his line of thinking as much as I used to. So with all that said, Conley, a guy who writes for ESPN.com and has been at the forefront of the kind of fancy stats in college football for a long time, was on this podcast the other day, and he was talking about how the national championship contenders all stack up. And one of the things that the analytics folks have been open about is in this day and age of player movement and so much changeover in rosters from year to year to year, how do you kind of measure that from a statistical standpoint? And as you might imagine, it's gotten more difficult to do. And that may be true for a lot of teams around the country, but Conley says there are actually probably a couple of teams where that's not really quite so true for at all. And the one that he mentions prominently here is the one we care about on the show. It's the Georgia Bulldogs. I think we may have this quote. Can we show this? This is Bill Conley on the Solid Verbal podcast talking about his feelings about Georgia, about why he thinks that Georgia right now, according to his advanced metrics his preseason ratings you know his power rating type stuff he thinks Georgia is as easy to have a you know clear opinion on as anybody is he writes and sorry on the podcast he says I mean they have no transfers they didn't take a single transfer this year they didn't lose their defensive coordinator so there's that but you know the offense we kind of know what that offense is going to be so what Conley is saying here on the solid verbal podcast is hey you know you've got all this change over in other places but at Georgia it's as easy to make a clear prediction of what you think they're going to be as any team in the country and for what it's worth Conley's got Georgia third in his what he calls his SP plus that's his analytics rankings he's got Georgia third behind Alabama and Ohio State and in particular to make the contrast here for a moment you know he talks about how at at Ohio State this is a team that has been obviously great offensively they were really for the most part below average defensively last year and he says if that team is like top 15 defense for the upcoming season they're probably the best team in the country and the honest truth is I don't dispute what he's saying there that if Ohio State can find some defense to play complementary with its offense, that probably is the best team in the country, and you would then understand why the Buckeyes have gotten all the hype they've gotten here this offseason. That's not an incorrect statement to make. Now, the word if is doing a lot of work in that statement because Ohio State has made a new defensive coordinator hire, and they are trying to up in some erosion on that side of the ball that's kind of gone back the last couple of years as Ohio State's gotten more explosive offensively they've just gotten a little softer defensively they have clearly become a more finesse oriented team they got shoved around mightily against Michigan there last year so it's not obvious they will be able to upgrade on defense but clearly that's what they're trying to do and as Conley says it's unclear if they're going to be able to do that or not there's more mystery surrounding Ohio State but but Conley says when it comes to Georgia there is very little mystery because they don't have any transfer players now as a Georgia fan and as someone who talks to other Georgia fans for a living on this show I'm left to conclude okay so Conley says I feel very confident about where I have Georgia I've got them third behind Alabama and Ohio State is this a good thing or not now Georgia fans would say well it's not good to be third you want to be number one in the country but and pushing that aside for a moment 
the fact that Georgia is such an outlier around the rest of the country when it comes to like taking in transfers. I mean, the Alabama season this year is going to be, um, you know, completely determined by how transfer players work out. Jermaine Burton and Jameer Gibbs and offensive lineman from Vanderbilt, wide receiver, additional wide receiver from Louisville, that the Alabama season in large measure is going to be determined by how well these transfers fit into what the Crimson Tide is trying to do. Georgia, by comparison, far different than that. And as I said before, smart as a coach, a lot more comfortable than a lot of his contemporaries are at being different when it comes to these major trends. So so is it good that Georgia doesn't have the kind of transfer players that add more mystery and intrigue into an upcoming season? And I think that obviously we won't know if it's good until we see the results at the end of the year. But I can't help but notice this, that being on the other side of quickly emerging trends has actually worked out pretty well for Georgia in the past. I mean, can't you say that that is what happened for Georgia on the field in 2021, at a time when the sport was embracing offensive football, offensive football, offensive football? Georgia was a little more defensive-oriented. And in 2021, it just so happened the sport actually moved in Georgia's direction, and Georgia used that to the tune of winning a national championship. Georgia was moving against the tide of a trend, no pun intended, and it actually worked out to the tune of, of national championship success. I'd say the same thing is kind of going on for Georgia recruiting right now, whereas the conversation around Georgia's 2023 class is just so different than so many of the other conversations that are taking place nationally, where it seems like a lot of recruiting classes, whether you believe all the rumor and innuendo or not, are almost built solely on the back of NIL. And Georgia right now, whether it's reality or perception, just doesn't quite seem to be built that way and it seems like Georgia for the moment is still selling other things other than just NIL opportunities and clearly in 2022 in the 2023 recruiting cycle you can't completely ignore NIL but smart seems to be content to say hey we're going to move a little slower on this we're going to change our minds slowly uh, even though everybody else seems content to to change their mind really quickly, that actually moving a little slower, being a little more deliberate in our embrace of new stuff has actually worked out pretty well before. And just maybe on the field in 2022, this upcoming season, it'll be another example of that. That as Conley, the analytics expert from ESPN says, George is so different because there are no transfer players, at least new to the program for this year. Eric Gilbert, I guess, would sort of feel like a little bit of a version of that but new to the program for this year there just are no transfer players and for Georgia that seems to to have kind of worked out before to be different than a lot of its other chief competition and in fact let me go back in time here for a moment to um the end of spring practice this was the g-day press conference and at the end of that press conference near the very end of it i think a lot of media folks were kind of assuming okay spring practice in the books you see what you've got you had your spring game now you're going to turn your attention to, to to bringing somebody in from the transfer portal because at that time late april you still had until may 1st to kind of find out who was going to be in the portal so now a lot of folks thought georgia was going to be turning its attention to getting ready for that transfer portal and seeing who Georgia was going to add to its roster the same way that a lot of other college football championship contenders seemed really really eager to do some of these sort of waiver wire additions that now it's going to be Georgia's turn to do that but Kirby Smart just kind of I don't know I don't want to say he completely disregarded it but he certainly didn't seem all that eager to add a new player even after spring practice was done this is a reminder to him about what he said last April this is a Kirby Smart from back in the spring 
I don't even think of this next phase as transfer four phase. I think of it as get stronger, get get bigger uh, phase. Like we have to we have to get better. We gotta physically get better. So we gotta lift in May, we gotta work out in May, we gotta get some guys academically in a good place. And the guys that wanna be here, we're gonna coach them. The guys that don't, and we're not gonna chase after them, we can't. You know, that's that's their determination. We're trying to create a culture of I wanna be here and grow and get better. Like you come to Georgia, you get developed. So if I'm not the guy, at least I'm developing to be the guy. And we got a lot of lot of examples of guys that stuck around and became really good players, you know. Jan Tindall's a great example of that. And uh, that's that's really my focus. It's not on, you know, who's in it, who's not in it. When I have a bias, I want to try to be clear to you about what it is. I don't want to try to sneak up with you on some sort of hidden agenda. I'll lead with my opinion on this. I love that mindset from Kirby Smart. That's the kind of mindset that I hope works. Now it remains to be seen how much it's going to work for Georgia this season. But given my preferences, that's what I'd like for my coach to say of, actually, we're going to lean in the direction of building up, training up, developing the players that we have, and we're going to make that our number one priority. And we're going to see if we can reward guys who've stuck around here and didn't tuck tail and run the first son of adversity, such as a Channing Tendall. That's sort of what I want my coach to say, so I have no problem telling you that I've got a little bit of a hidden agenda and a little bit of a bias in favor of that kind of talk coming out of a, a football coach. It's just an example of how football, I think, trains up future men. I just think it's good for, for men to have that kind of mindset within the sport. But in the present tense, the name of the game is winning. The name of the game is going out and repeating as national champions. And will that philosophy ultimately allow Georgia to end up doing that? I, I, I don't know. Obviously, we won't know until the results play out but as i said before we do have examples of this having worked in the past georgia's slow embrace of the offensive revolution worked out pretty well in 2021 georgia's somewhat slow embrace of the current culture dominated by nil that seems that still seems to be working out pretty well for the 2023 recruiting cycle and maybe georgia's slow embrace of a roster filled with transfer players Maybe that'll work out, too. I mean, there is one distinction I want to draw here, and then after this we can move on and talk about something different. I told you off the top of the program I'm a little bit of uh, a late adopter that I kind of uh, move into new ideas, new technology slower, but that doesn't mean I don't move in at all. And I think in one respect, Kirby Smart's kind of like that, too. Contrast him to another top program, another top coach here for a moment, Dabo Swinney at Clemson. I think Dabo, when he has spoken about some of the stuff that exists in college football, I think that he's shown an unwillingness to embrace it at all, transfers in particular. That's not something that Dabo has wanted Clemson to have whatsoever. Kirby's not like that. Kirby's taken some transfer players, and I certainly believe that Georgia would have been willing to take a transfer player here this year. But Kirby's also not the kind of guy that is going to go crazy adding six and seven transfers the way like an Ole Miss has or something else. So, so let's not make Kirby something that he's not he's not a guy unwilling to add a transfer player but he is a guy that's moved a little slow in that regard and moving slower when it comes to some of the dominant trends in college football that's worked out pretty well for georgia before and maybe here on the field in 2022 it will work out again my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pass Management. Good to have you. 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. 
course, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them on all the various podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. We're so happy to have our friends at Breda Pest Management making the show possible for you today. I appreciate their support of us, but I also appreciate the chance to talk to you about them because here's what I love about our sponsors. I feel so confident that they, services, products, whatever else, provide value to our audience it's the kind of thing i want to make sure you know about and this is what it comes to when it comes to braided pass manage because as we were talking about with some commenters before the show began everything's more expensive now and you know that's just a real challenge for all of us so where you can save money you should and that's where braided pass management gives you a chance to do that your termite protection your your pest control uh protection there your home maybe every year for however many years in a row your service provider sent you a letter letting you know your service price is going to go up well the breda pest management that's not going to happen so make the switch to breda pest management today and save money instantly when you do so you already know that breda pest management is the official pest control provider of uga athletics they're taking care of all the athletics venues including sanford stadium so you love the idea of that level of service but it's the it's the it's the level of savings they provide that's probably top of mind for you right now so make the switch to breda pest today the website bredapest.com that's b-r-e-d-a bredapest.com make the switch save instantly when you get your pest control and your termite protection from our friends at Breda Pest Management. All right, we're going to get Mike Griffith here coming up in a couple of minutes. A lot of things to get into uh, with Mike uh, that have been going on with UGA, so we'll do some of that with him coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, I do want to go briefly around the doghouse here. And, you know, listen, uh, Pro Football Focus, speaking of analytics, that's another one of these, I guess, sort of analytically-minded websites. And you've heard Kirby Smart kind of take his jabs at PFF before. I would say that around here we have a little bit of a love-hate relationship. Admittedly, we tend to cite Pro Football Focus when it has some stats that sort of back up what our opinion is. And we tend to, we tend to scoff at Pro Football Focus when some of their <laughs> analytics work kind of uh, share something that doesn't quite make sense to us. So we tend to use these stats when they work to uh, bolster our opinion and we tend to ignore them when they don't admittedly so but nonetheless they're you know producing content and it's good off-season fodder if nothing else and I saw a tweet from them the other day as it relates to Georgia defensive lineman Jalen Carter which I thought was really interesting it's it's talking about pass rush win rate sounds complicated but it's the idea of when you try to rush the passer how frequently are you beating the offensive lineman how frequently are you getting to the quarterback so kind of makes sense right it's the name of the game you know shed a shed a block get free get to the quarterback doing that from the interior uh position there whatever else well last year from a statistical standpoint according to the people at pro football focus carter was better than that better at that than a lot of georgia folks have been over the course of years can we show the pff tweet here for a moment regarding jalen carter so they say the highest pass pass rush win rates by the way it's not easy to say pass rush win rates in a season for a georgia defensive lineman leonard floyd was at 27.9 percent in 2015 meaning he beat an offensive lineman you know uh, a little more than a quarter of the time aziz ojalari in 2020 did that uh 24 percent of the time and Jalen Carter did that 18.9% of the time there in 2021. So so Carter right there among the very best Georgia pass rushers in terms of, you know, beating an offensive lineman, getting to the uh, quarterback, you know, he, within the same you know general vicinity of what Ojolari was there for Georgia in 2020, which obviously speaks to a pretty high level of achievement. And if you listen to Jalen Carter, one of the things you know is is that while he was really good in 2021 and was earning a lot of praise, I mean, there are a lot of scouts who were saying last year, while Georgia had the Trayvon Walkers and the and the Jordan Davis and the Devontae Wyatts, 
that Carter had the look of that guy NFL draft scouts are going to be salivating over. People were already saying that about him last year. So he knows what it's like to have a lot of hype. And now moving into the season, which he's not just in the complimentary role along with these other great defensive linemen, he's totally out of their shadow. They've moved on, and now he is the centerpiece of the program. Once again, to go back to spring practice, Jalen Carter, when he spoke to the media, Carter typically kind of a soft-spoken guy. I don't think he'd ever spoken to reporters before since he'd been at UGA. But it made it very clear in the press conference that he held back during the spring that this year he's ready to make good in all the projections from the analytics folks like Pro Football Focus, the predictions from blowhards like me that speak into a microphone. He's ready to go out there and show folks about what it means to be a former five-star moving into your draft-eligible season. I loved this from Jalen Carter. Take a listen to this. I work like different ways, you know. I started running more after practice and all that because some guys motivated me to do more because they told me I could be top ten pick and all that. So I've done a lot that I usually didn't do my freshman year. I've just been working harder. Yeah, you came in as a five-star prospect. You've had expectations your entire time here. How have you, you know? Do you think you've gone about living up to those now entering your junior year? What are your own sort of expectations entering this season? Um, I don't really know. Uh, the five stars is all cool and all, but I came here with a new start and new mindset, saying I got to earn everything I do. And just playing with them guys, I feel like I have done what was needed. So that's really interesting from Jalen Carter saying, hey, listen, I've been a five-star prospect. That's been my label i guess but now i'm ready to shed that i saw the draft success that the wyatts and the and the and the jordans and the uh, trayvon walkers had and that motivates me to go out and train even harder so i can be that guy for the upcoming season and almost universally i think people do view jalen carter as that kind of player pretty weirdly i don't think that phil Steele had him among his all-american list that just seemed like a horrible omission uh and and probably a a, a blight on phil Steele more so than anything on on, on jalen carter But other than that, almost universally, Carter is viewed as a top shelf, shortest of short list, big time players. Now, all of this leads me to make a very simple point here for a moment that and we talked about this some yesterday, that the Georgia defense in 2022 kind of has the label of not quite being what the 2021 defense was. And we understand why that is. Georgia lost five first round picks, uh, Nicobe Dean, other key players, that there is clearly a lot missing from that 2021 defense. But let's just say magically we made the 2021 defense disappear that it never happened that all of a sudden now we're comparing the 2022 georgia defense to the other previous defenses of the kirby smart era talking about 2020 2019 2018 2017 i guess even 2016 we're comparing the 2022 defense to the other defenses 2021 simply does not exist it's this current unit being compared to those previous units for those of you that have good enough memories to think back on those years was there ever a defense prior to 2021 that you would have felt as good about on paper as you do this defense right now because of the presence of a guy like Carter and and other potential first-round picks, but just let's just keep it to Carter here right now. Did any Georgia defense on paper going into a season have a player as good as Jalen Carter appears to be, not counting maybe 2021 here for a moment? I think the answer on that is pretty clear, no. I mean, for everything that Roquan Smith turned out to be in 2017, he was not necessarily projected that way before the start of that 2017 season. I'd say the same thing is kind of true for Aziz Ojolari in 2020 there as well. That's another one of the great individual performers for Smart during his era as head coach. 
but it's not like he was obviously viewed to be that guy going into the 2020 season. He was certainly thought to be a very good player, but I think he stepped up and proved that that he was even better on that. I don't know that Georgia has had, you know, a guy on paper going into a season getting what I would say justifiable love the way that Jalen Carter is right now. And you could maybe say something similar about Nolan Smith and and Keely Ringo. So important to add some context to all this is all I'm trying to say. Clearly, this defense is in the shadow of the 2021 defense right now. But if that defense were to kind of magically be erased as if it didn't exist, there's probably more justifiable excitement about this unit going into this season than any of the Georgia defenses prior to that under Kirby Smart. And, of course, Jalen Carter is a big reason why. That is Around the Doghouse. We are happy to have you with us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management today. And we're also happy to have Mike Griffith on the show today, too. So let's talk to him right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Bringing Mike Griffith here, a part of the uh, program, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. Of course, Mike's had some really good stuff at uh, DogNation.com over the last few days. I'm looking forward to talking to some uh, uh, about that with Mike. But let me just bring you in, Mike, on the conversation I was just having, which is, I mean, we understand why this 2022 defense kind of lives in the shadow of what the 2021 unit did. We totally you know, you know, get all of that. But when it comes to the kind of attention that Jalen Carter is getting, both in terms of like the analytic stuff, but also just the natural opinion stuff or the draft draft scout stuff, under Kirby Smart, it has been very rare for a player like this to get as much individual attention as Carter's currently getting. I mean, this is, you know, this is as good an individual player on paper as I think that Georgia's probably had under Smart going into the start of the season. And I know a lot of Georgia fans can't wait to see what he does there on the field, and I'm sure you're right there with him on that, Mike. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, but you don't often see guys do what Jalen Carter's done. I mean, the, the field goal block to me was was the turning point of the national championship team. Um, you know, it, Alabama fans might say it was the play before when uh, Jai Hall dropped the ball inside the five yard line, but the next play was Jalen Carter blocking a field goal, and you know that's that's a huge swing. That that you know Alabama I think could have gone up one twelve. 12-6 at the point. I think they were at 9-6 at that time. Could have gone 12. Instead, the very next play, Cook goes 67 yards. I mean, it's kind of the butterfly effect. What if Jalen Carter doesn't block that field goal, right? I mean, what if Bama kicks it and then they kick off and now they just added some points? And, you know, to me, that was the play of the game. And then beyond that, um, you know, this is a guy who's been a five, who's come in and he's been everything that he was supposed to be from day one. And, and really, and, and I think part of the credit also for our recognition of him goes to special guys like Jordan Davis, uh, you know, who sits there and tells us, hey, Jalen Carter's better than all of us. That's the Outland Trophy winner speaking. That's your first ballot Hall of Famer off of the national championship team. The first guy going in in the Hall of Fame after, off that team last year is Jordan Davis, the Merrick and Outland Trophy winner, only the third player ever to sweep those two awards and the first player in the SEC to do it. And he's telling us there's a guy younger than him that's better than him on the team. And he's not joking around. And so, to your point, I think I think Jalen Carter is, is fantastic. I think it's exciting um, that Georgia has the preeminent defensive tackle uh, in the nation. Is, is he an Indomitian super portion? Not yet. Aaron Donald? Mm, maybe not quite yet. But, but when we're thinking about the greatest defensive tackles in the last 10 years, of college football and we're going to list make a list of 10 of them could Jalen Carter be on that list absolutely 
What do you think about Georgia being such an outlier from a lot of the rest of the country? Certainly it's chief competition, Alabama, and the fact that, you know, Bama is going to be a roster this season, really heavily dominated by transfer players. Georgia doesn't have that kind of thing. It's not that Smart's unwilling to take transfers. He took some last year, but they're not going to have them this year. What do you think about Georgia being so different than such a prevailing trend around the rest of the sport? Well, I think it says a lot for the amount of talent that, that Georgia accrued to begin with. That, that you know, Georgia had 11 uh, transfers on uh, the portal, seven out of the two deep, and four former starters, and, and nobody's really you know batting an eye over any of that. You know, anybody else loses 11 players and seven out of the two deep and four former starters, you're going, oh, my gosh, much less in a year when you had 15 guys drafted. And, and yet, to your point, we look at the promise of this roster and say, you know, this team is going to win the East again, and maybe they'll be ready to beat Bama by the time they play in the SEC championship game. I, I do think that Georgia probably had to spend some money to keep guys. I think that's part of it, too. You can't be going out spending money on guys you don't have when you got guys you got to pay to stay, which is just the reality of the situation now with the one-time transfer in the NIL. So I think Kirby's done an unbelievable job with roster management. I think that's one of the reasons why Georgia won. I think that is the reason why Georgia won the national championship, that, that Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt uh, did come back and Justin Schaefer did come back and all these seniors that decided one more year so they could get that chance. Without it, it doesn't happen. Brandon, and just like the year before, if Bama doesn't convince, uh, you know, Najee Harris and Devontae Smith and, you know, I forget the left tackles name in the center, they have six first-round guys that are seniors. If they don't come back, and then I play the what-if game. What if Jake Brown and DeAndre Swift come back in 2020, right? What if we go back and, you know, what if some of these other, with Roquan Smith, what if some of these other guys come back for another, is Georgia winning enough? Probably. So roster management is absolutely talent accrual, no doubt. Player development, check, but now roster management. And I think that's what Kirby Smart does as well as anybody in the country. So you've written about the uh, Kirby Smart impending contract here this week. And, you know, going back to the spring meetings a few weeks ago, we certainly, you know, were confirmed it was on its way. You know, obviously a big race for Kirby Smart. And, Mike, I have a little bit of a weird opinion about this in that, listen, I think Smart deserves whatever they give him. I'm happy to see him getting a raise. And, you know, maybe this is just as simple of the contract just obviously ends any discussion that Smart might ever go anywhere else. If that was ever a, a living, breathing conversation before, huge raise would obviously seem to quiet that down. But beyond that, like I don't know that that from a fan's perspective that I get all that excited about whatever Kirby Smart is making. I mean, I think he deserves the money. I'm happy that he's getting it, I guess. But what do you think the fan takeaway should be from Kirby Smart about to be an even richer man than he already is? Well, I think it's what you said, Brandon. I think it's the stability of the situation. I, you know, and I think recruits are looking for that. I, you know, I read one of Fentel's recent recent stories. Uh, you know, one of these last four commitments in the last week, hard to keep up with all the talent streaming in. And one of the things that Kirby talked to the recruit about was stability. And let's face it, if, if you're if you're comparing Alabama and Georgia, one of your selling points if you're Georgia is, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's like if I was trying to sell you a car, Brandon, I could say, well, you know, Brandon, I know you got your eyes on that 1990 Corvette. But let me tell you, that thing's got 100,000 miles on it. It's a classic. I got a 2022 Kirby vet right here. This thing is still rolling. It's only 46 years old in, in human years. And it's coming right up. Where do you want, in other words, Nick Saban is ancient. Yeah. He's 70 years old. And and that's why this, is, this contract clause, I don't, I, it brings up this. How fascinating is this? 
Jimmy Sexton is the most clever agent ever, and he also represents Kirby, and I know some fans are going, why are we talking about agent? Because this guy is the agent. He is the super agent. They need to make a movie or 30-30 on him. He's got a clause in Saban's contract. This is beautiful. Saban gets an extra $800,000 bonus after every year between 2022 and 2025. The only reason that bonus is there is to make sure that Nick Saban, he's got a base salary over $9 million, but oh, we're going to give you another 800000 just to make sure you don't get too old on us, Nick, and come back another year. Just a brilliant strategy. It's something you can show. But honestly, if you were going to want to go play for a coach, would you want to go for the 70-year-old at Alabama and do what six other teams have already done? Or do you want to come to Georgia and carve your own niche and play for a 46-year-old coach named Kirby Smart and maybe wear these cool white helmets that nobody's ever worn before? Even though Georgia says they're not doing it next year, that's part of the attraction. Is that, hey, you can still, you know, be one of the legends. You can be one of the guys. I mean, in Alabama, you just, yeah, take a number. You know, they've won six national titles here. Get in line. You know, which legend do you want to talk to today? Georgia, you got one in 40 years. And, and you've still got some freshness and some newness to it. This probably makes me weird, but I think we probably ended up talking more about Todd Hartley's big raise than we did Kirby Smart's, you know, pending new contract. Because in some respects, I just think that that's how you really demonstrate program strength. And this may sound like I'm down on the Kirby Smart contract. I'm not. I mean, George could pay him $20 million a year, and I would be fine with it. I think that he's certainly worth whatever whatever he makes. But when you've got a young, up-and-coming coach like Hartley and you're able to make him the highest-paid guy at his position, that to me, there's almost a bigger flex in terms of how much you can pay your position coaches because these are guys that are upwardly mobile. These are guys that are looking for career advancement. If you can give them the money so they don't become like head coach at like, you know, blah, 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 directional state university or offensive coordinator at, you know, some other place, that if you can give them the kind of money that keeps them happier longer, that there's a certain level of program stability that kind of comes from that almost much more than than paying the head coach as i said before that's not to be construed as i'm down on kirby's martin getting whatever he can get but there was a part of me as a fan doing show for fans that was almost more energized by hartley getting 650 grand than i was by uh uh smart getting what might end up being 100 million dollars as weird as that sounds that's probably the the point of view that i probably expressed on the show the last few days well, I'll take your Hartley and raise you at Todd Munkin two million. Yeah, that's a good point. I think yeah, I, I thought the, I thought the Munkin contract was was pivotal. The lockdown, especially in the Manning recruitment. Um, to your point, you know Georgia led the SEC last year in assistant coach salary pool, and that is really important. Um, to your point, uh, you know these other staff do try to poach guys off of it. Hey, listen, there's a reason Kirby Smart didn't give Cortez Rankin uh, Cortez Hankin a raise for two years because he was basically saying, you know what. If somebody else comes, Hank, I, I don't blame you a bit. But when you're giving these other guys a bump, uh, Del McGee, I think he's making the same kind of money that uh, Muschamp and Glenn Schumann is, right? So that tells you the value. At the end of the day, you're worth what the company pays you. People say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, you're worth what you get paid. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Del McGee. That's a perfect example of this. I mean, his contemporary at Alabama, Charles Huff, left a couple of years ago and went to become Marshall head coach. And, you know, uh, listen, I don't begrudge – uh, McGee if he ever wants to be a head coach or something like that but if you can convince a guy not to do that if you can just get him to hold off on going and living in Huntington West Virginia during the winter where it's going to be really really cold at least I think it's going to be uh, cold up there but if you can convince a guy to say that to stay just a little bit longer that stability that programs do desire and that you're right recruits do pay attention to even in this modern age 
that you know that stability that when you can keep a Munkin for year three, something that's not easy to do for a play caller. When you can keep Dell McGee for the long haul, the way that Georgia has. When you prevent, you know, like Dan Lanning could have taken the Texas job a year ago and, and gone being defensive coordinator. You held on to him for one more year. That to me, there is such a flex that comes from being able to pay assistance a, a lot of money that really does add up to be a pretty key ingredient in the recipe of, of building a great college football program. Well, there's an old saying, you know it, you know it better than anyone, be a happy wife, happy life. And we can talk about these guys making the money, but these guys ain't the ones spending the money because they ain't got the time to spend the money. And there's nothing wrong with a family having a nice house and being able to have nice vacations and bring their families in and, and entertain and send their kids to the best schools and have that, uh, security because the coaching the coaching business is, is a whirlwind. There, there's no guarantee, you know. You don't you don't see many coaches last a long time at a school. It just doesn't happen. And assistant coaches even more so. And if you're an assistant coach, you're kind of at the mercy of your head coach. You know, you'd be the best assistant coach ever. But if you're a head coach, tanks, you know, you're in trouble. Look at John Chavis, Tennessee defensive coordinator. Tennessee's defense was fine. But when the offense fell apart and Philip Palmer got fired, guess who else got fired? The whole staff. Davis, but good enough coach, landed somewhere else, goes to LSU, then he goes to Texas A&M, then he goes to Arsenal. I mean, you don't know where your next move is. As an assistant coach, that is a volatile field where you only have so much control. You work tireless hours away from your family. We've discussed that, which is why Matt Luke got out, right? And so your family needs to be taken care of. And it's the wife. I talked with David Cutcliffe. Great story for you, BA. I was down at the uh, SEC spring meetings a couple weeks ago, ran into to Coach Cutcliffe. And when I was covering Bama in the 90s, and Mike Dubose got hired, he told me he was going to hire these three or four coaches. And one of the coaches he said he was going to hire was David Cutcliffe, who was the Tennessee offense coordinator. He said, Mike, this is going to happen. Me and Cutcliffe were roommates in college. We made a deal way back then that whoever got the first head coaching job was going to hire the other one. Cutcliffe's coming. Go ahead and write it. I went ahead and wrote it. What happened? Cutcliffe didn't come. I said, what happened? I don't know. He said he was going to come. He came back on it. Tennessee threw a little money at him. So I saw Cutcliffe at the uh, SEC spring meetings a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, Cut, I got to ask you about something, man. This is way back in the scene. I'm not writing it. But, you know, 26 years ago, Dubos gets the job. You guys had this deal. You go, yeah, we did. We made that. Because they were roommates in college. People don't realize how they like Cutcliffe and Dubos team he said, what happened was I went to my wife and I told her that we were leaving for Alabama. She said, well, you have a good time. I'm not leaving here. Because huh. she was a teacher in the community. The kids liked their school. And she said, we're not doing it. So the coach thought he was going. The wife said, we ain't going. So sometimes when you see things like that, you go, wow, why in the world would a coach do that? Well, because he's got a pretty important person in his life named wife. And she's there to look out for him and look out for the best interest of the family. And these mothers and parents, have more influence than you would ever imagine. I think Jeff Santel told us that in the Arch Manning recruitment. It ain't it ain't just the dad. You better talk to the mom. You know, there's a lot. You know, hey, Athens, those downtown shops, protect them. Uh, women like coming here and going to the restaurants and the shops. Yeah, I know that. I know you know that. Sure. I know your wife does. Take you around downtown Athens. You ain't getting out for a few hours, brother, because there's a lot of good places to eat mm-hmm. and a lot of good places to shop. And there's a value to that. There's a value to that money. There's a value to that community, that environment. I think that's one of the things Georgia has going is the Athens community is uh, it's, 
it's unique, and to me, it's the best college community in the country. I think it's really true. Uh, last thing before we let you go, and this is kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but uh, College World Series rolls on. You get SEC teams dominating that. You had two teams play from the SEC in the title series a year ago, Vanderbilt Mississippi State. It's a new crop of SEC teams playing there now. And, Mike, one of my big wishes, I mean, I just – I want to be – I've never been to the College World Series before. I want Georgia to be in Omaha – so badly i would say years ago i probably didn't actually follow college baseball all that closely it's just one of those sports i've just gotten way more into in recent years and i don't know you see a lot of the social media activity the auburn fans the Ole miss fans arkansas fans a&m fans the ones that have been there this thing looks about as much fun as anything ever could be have you been to the college world series before um uh, at any point in time because I-, I tell you one of my absolute ambitions is to be there with the dogs here at some point in time because it looks about as much fun as anything. Yeah, yeah, I did. I went there in the nineties. Alabama and Auburn both went the same year, believe it or not, and uh, it was it was awesome. It's it's funny. I had to you know hit myself and yeah, I went back and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I did cover the national championship game when Alabama played uh, LSU, and uh, I, I was trying. I couldn't remember. I was like, what, what, what did I write that day? What's the game story? It's not on the digital archives in nineteen ninety seven. I might have to go back in my my newspaper file to find it. Yeah, it was. And to your point, uh, it, it, it's, it's a party. It's a celebration. And it, and it goes on for a week and a half. And, and let me tell you, Omaha is a beautiful city. Omaha, Nebraska is a beautiful city. Uh, I, I like the Women's College World Series in softball. I've been to that like five or six times. Is that in Oklahoma City? That is that in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City? Okay, yeah. Yeah, they've got a nice little area called Bricktown with great restaurants and clubs, and they've got a cool zoo and, you know, a little lake where you get these swan pedal boats. It's, yeah, it's really awesome because of the environment, because of the day. You know, and to your point, like, you're right. You could kick back and, you know, your team plays in the afternoon, but you want to go to the 1 o'clock game and – it's kind of spread out over, you know, a pretty long period of time. And you, if they've got this cool little downtown region, you know, much, much like the Braves have around their stadium right now. So, uh, and you know what? And, and, and you're not that far away. You're, listen, you realize Ole Miss finished under 500 in the SEC. Ole Miss at one point, I think, was 5-9 and nine this year. And, and they're one game away from, from playing uh, in the championship series. Yeah. I mean, if Georgia, Georgia beat the best team in baseball this year with Tennessee. Georgia beat them eight to three in front of the sold out crowd with a guy that was 104 miles an hour and the school's all time safe leader. And Georgia beat them eight to three. I mean, Georgia lost on a, uh, you know, got knocked out eventually by a guy catching, you know, robbing a home run and, and their eighth pitcher had gotten. But what if he doesn't get hurt? I mean, it is, you're not that far away. And that's what makes it so hard for the Georgia baseball fans that are here to hear, well, we got to do the tennis facility first. So we got to wait another year before you're going to do something about the facilities because here's what you don't know about Georgia baseball. Bowie Field is great, but the facilities are awful. They're, they're probably the 13th out of 14 teams in the They're terrible. The batting cages are archaic. There is no pitching lab. It is god-awful. The other thing you don't know, something that I recently found out, Brandon, is you say to yourself, well, wait a minute now. you got all these kids from Georgia. you got this in-state advantage. Well, actually, you don't because these other schools in the SEC – have something called an out-of-state wage waiver. So they can give the kids from Georgia the same pricing to go to their school in state, even though they're from another okay. state. Georgia doesn't do that. If you want to recruit a kid from another state, they're paying out-of-state. You're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, but they're on scholarships. No, 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 they're not. There's only 11.7 scholarships for 27 players. Most all of these players are paying to degree, and 13 of them are paying the whole bill out of their pocket. 40 guys on the team, only 27. 
So this is a factor. Georgia is doing this to themselves. So, yeah, you're right, Brandon. Everybody wants to see it. There's a plan in place, but it's still two or three years off before they finally get these facilities that are going to put them on the level playing field. All right, Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here. Uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Braided Pass Management today. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you there at dognation.com and, of course, chatting with you again very soon there as well. Thanks, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I mean, I realize there's a whole pocket of Georgia fans that are sort of only interested in football, and I got no problem with you. You're free to like what you like. Uh, that's fine with me either way, and obviously we're a show that's always going to be like 99% devoted to football because that's what the audience wants to hear. This is not a hobby. We're doing this for, uh, as Kevin Kisner would say, this ain't no hobby. Uh, um, yeah, We're not doing this as a hobby. We're doing this for jobs. We're going to serve the audience what it wants. But privately, selfishly, I want to go to Omaha, man. That just looks like so much fun. It just looks like so much fun. Maybe one of these days we'll get a chance to uh, do that. Take the show on the road to uh, Omaha, Nebraska. I would have a uh, great time with all of that. And speaking of having a great time, you yourself will have a great time there as well. If you head out on the open seas here in 2022, maybe even this summer on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, like how much fun does that sound to be – you know, in the Bahamas, to be going down to St. Thomas or St. Martin or heading over to uh, the private destination there in Haiti known as Labadee. Like, there are so many cool places that Royal Caribbean's going. Perfect day, Coco Cay. You've heard me talk about that a bunch. But the ship itself is also cool there as well. And that's the one thing you can't lose sight of is that the ship itself is a destination. You've heard it said that, you know, it's... <laughs> life's a journey not a destination well it's the journey on the cruise it's actually so much of the fun because of all the things that royal caribbean has on its cruise ships you're watching on video you saw like the flow rider on the back of the ship which is kind of like a wave simulator like a surf simulator you got like the lime and coconut and so many other cool like bars spread all over the place those of you like pub crawls and things like that like there's really no better way to do that than on one of these Royal Caribbean cruise ships. I've told you before that in February when I was on Harmony of the Seas, like at one point in time in the night, my wife and I went from like bar to bar to bar to bar. We heard live music being played at like five different places at one time. Like that's just a, kind of a fun night out. And you're getting that on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship to go along with everything else that comes with that great vacation. So my encouragement to you is to go ahead and get booked up and get on your own Royal Caribbean cruise here today. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you do that. TCAVA.com, TCAVA.com, or call 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. So this is the portion of the show you're going to see a graphic. And you're going to say, oh, B.A., y'all forgot to change the graphic from yesterday. But actually, we didn't need to change the graphic from yesterday because another day, same result, Ohio State has added another five-star wide receiver, this time in the person of Brandon Ennis, a big-time receiver prospect going the way of the Buckeyes. This is interesting because just yesterday, Ohio State got uh, Carnell Tate. Obviously, that's one of the top receivers in the country. And getting Ennis the day after that, once again, another really big deal. You'll remember, of course, that Ennis at one point in time was seemingly on Georgia's radar or Georgia was on his radar. We talked last week about the fact that Ennis had really strongly remarked when Georgia hired Brian McClendon as wide receivers coach. But last week, when Ennis put out his top six, he did not have Georgia among that group. And he becomes another one of these guys that chooses Ohio State. And listen, we don't like the Buckeyes. A lot of folks don't, but you got to call them like you see them. We try to call balls and strikes around here. 
Ohio State is just dominating wide receiver recruit and they are dominating production from receivers you know on the field there as well sending these guys into the NFL draft there as well they are cornering the market on that position in a really remarkable way in fact you know why was it that Alabama was even able to get a Jamison Williams a year ago who was such a pivotal part of their offense and as Alabama fans would say it the only reason they had a chance to win any game literally impossible to win a game that he didn't play in how did that program get to be that point well a guy like Williams was just floundering on the bench at Ohio State I mean that's that's bizarre right to think that they've got so much talent that Jamison Williams so easily and quickly became the face of the Alabama program they had no chance of winning games in which he was hurt and yet at Ohio State he was just kind of a bench guy kind of a rotational guy that's how deep they've been at wide receiver and now Tate and Ennis in back-to-back days shows you the position coach Brian Hartline head coach Ryan Day they show no signs of slowing down on any of this anytime soon and as we talked about off the top of the program, that does sort of lead you to the question of what does that mean for the Buckeyes on the field this year? Now, obviously, no Ennis and Tate playing for them right now. We understand that. But this reputation, so well earned, of dominant wide receiver, and guys like Julian Fleming, who you know we've always liked around here, he's had a hard time finding a home there at Ohio State for much the same kind of stuff. Maybe he gets more of a chance here this year. But what does this add up to? Is this one of those things where Ohio State really on the back of what is a great and dominant offense they just ride that to, to more success or is this one of those things where you know bringing in the defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State and kind of trying to add that version of complimentary football to their offensive profile do they falter there in that regard as we said you know does the lack of physicality that hurt them in the game against Michigan a year ago does all this dominant wide receiver play kind of leave them more easily exploited in other areas because there's no such thing in life of having no trade-off getting better in one area is going to hurt you somewhere else and hard not to notice the teams like ohio state and alabama that as they've as they've made their program more um offensive oriented more wide receiver oriented the program has suffered in other ways i mean think about like the 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 overhead shot you know the spider cam that slides around the top of the field for a moment think about the spider cam looking down the action when your best players are wide receivers they are lining up a long way away from the football. And to me, that's always a concern when you are best far from the football because there's a lot of action around the football that determines what wide receivers even have the chance to, to be able to do. And it sounds like I'm you know, poo-pooing Ohio State you know, recruiting these wide receivers. Clearly, I'm not. It's good to have a niche in life, and this is the niche the Buckeyes have created for themselves. But what does it produce in terms of winning? It's fair to point out it has not produced much as of late and there's going to be a big spotlight on what that does for Ryan Day here this upcoming season. Ryan Day has not won squat since he's been the Ohio State head coach. He is universally heaped praise upon because there's just a bias in favor of offensive coaches but he hasn't done anything yet since being Buckeyes coach. This is a year where he needs to do that but they are clearly killing it in recruiting when it uh, comes to receivers and Ennis just the latest example of that. And I know, know some folks up there near that Columbus program and they really think that Ennis has a chance to be very good too and you hear that from time to time but sometimes you hear it a little bit more and there is a lot of specific praise coming the way of Ennis would not surprise I think some people that I know closer to Ohio State would not surprise them if Ennis is not better than Carnell Tate so just keep that in mind there too uh, another piece of recruiting news uh Florida has added a four-star commit we certainly mock Florida when it you know takes a bunch of three stars or transfers from Louisiana Lafayette or whatever else but in this particular case, uh, they do add a four-star Isaiah Nixon to the, like a top 200-level recruit type guy. 
Uh, he has been added into the 2023 fold there for the Gators. Now, if you go to like 24-7 Sports, one of these websites that like ranks recruiting rankings, you still see the Gators right there just above. Like the line of demarcation, are you familiar with like baseball, the old like Mendoza line? Like you don't want to be below the Mendoza line when it comes to a batting average. The football recruiting version of that is, is that when you scroll on one of these like national recruiting websites, you see like the first 50 teams and then below that you have to click to see additional teams. Like you want to make sure you're above the top 50. Otherwise, you're kind of the below the see additional teams mark and that's never where you want to be. So Florida right now just staying right there above that see additional teams label when it comes to the national recruiting websites but they do add a uh, four-star pass rusher in isaiah nixon the program and also just briefly let me do this we talked yesterday a little bit about uh, stetson bennett going to the manning passing academy in louisiana uh new Orleans times pick a had written about that i want to give you the other sec quarterbacks who are going to be there because they're going to be a lot of them it's uh will levis from kentucky spencer rattler from south carolina anthony richardson from florida will rogers from mississippi state uh, Mike Wright from Vanderbilt. I have no idea who that is. Uh, Bryce Young from Alabama. Uh, Luke Altmeyer from Ole Miss. And by the way, let me just say this real quickly. We talked about this on one of my vacation shows uh, a few weeks ago. Um, watch Altmeyer here for a moment. That's a quarterback for Ole Miss out of Starkville. That's the obviously the, the the town of Mississippi State, the big Ole Miss rival. It is not obvious that Jackson Dart's going to be Ole Miss's starting quarterback. Keep your eye on Luke Altmaier. That's worth mentioning. Miles Brennan from LSU, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, KJ Jefferson, Arkansas. Jefferson had a really interesting write-up with a uh, Brandon Marcello the other day, twenty-four-seven Sports, about his belief in himself for the upcoming season. I thought it was kind of interesting. Then also Max Johnson from Texas A&M. So a lot of SEC quarterbacks represented at that Manning Passing Academy, and the chance for Stetson Bennett to kind of rub elbows with those guys and show off a national championship ring. So that'll be kind of an interesting to see what kind of emerges from that if anything but a lot of big name quarterbacks in the sec all there together and by the way georgia plays a lot of these guys this season levis and rattler and richardson and rogers uh maybe bryce young eventually obviously hendon hooker uh georgia plays a lot of those quarterbacks that are kind of thought to be at that sort of manning passing camp a level there we'll make that cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and really quickly i just want to give you a reminder here that for as much action as there's been around recruiting for georgia here in the month of june it does not really show any times of slowing down at least anytime soon eventually we'll get to july there'll be a little bit of a dead period there where visits will stop but guys will still sort of ponder their you know fact-finding missions they've been on in june and some of these guys obviously are heading towards july decisions but for now visits roll on including one for a big time pass rusher samuel and pemba on social media this week letting us know that he's got a visit taking place to georgia putting this out yesterday that he's visiting georgia today so that from Mpemba, a, a name worth paying attention to and uh, watching. So big visits continue to roll on, and some of these midweek visits kind of taking place, which is an interesting thing to see. So Mpemba back on campus there for the dogs. I'm sure Jeff Sintel will have plenty for you on that at dognation.com. Here's what I've got for you there as well. Obviously, always a great time to toast the recruiting wins that Georgia continues to enjoy. Recruits themselves can't toast yet. They're not 21, but we all can. And so we'll celebrate that in style with our friends, the Finish Long Drink. And I was telling somebody the other day, I just really love the finished long drink during the time of year when you're outside a lot more. This time of year, I am outside at the pool, whatever else. You get the one of those like really nice coolers. Some of y'all have these. I've got one of these like like these coolers. I don't even know how they work, but they keep the cans like ultra cold, and I just love that. And uh, a, like a really really super cold finished long drink, man, that is just good stuff. So if you go to thelongdrink.com, you can find out where you can pick some up today, whether it's the cranberry or the long drink strong. 
the long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar, long drink traditional. It's a blue can. It's a grapefruit flavor, a gin kick. It sort of looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. For those of you that like mixed drinks, this is a mixed drink in a can. You can enjoy some today. So go to thelongdrink.com, and you can find out where you can pick some up and enjoy this great, great new category of beverage, the ready-to-drink cocktail, the finished long drink, coming from Helsinki, you know, going back to the 1950s, been in America now for a couple of years, and now in Georgia all over the place. So, so go to thelongdrink.com. You can find out where you can pick some up. So Golden Shoe today, uh, a continuation of an ongoing conversation for a lot of Georgia fans of why it is that Georgia, in the mix of, midst of all these, like, you know, alternate uniforms that recruits wear, why the one thing that seemingly every Georgia fan's in agreement on, you know, like that meme or like that emoji that people use, like the handshake emoji, like old school Georgia fans, new school Georgia fans, everybody wants Georgia to wear like shiny silver britches the way the program used to. And there's never really been a good explanation for why that doesn't happen. Well, that's kind of the theme of our golden shoe today. Our buddy George on tap, who always shares some cool stuff with us, shared us this there as well, that I guess Nike has made a kind of specific, um, you know, like sort of signature sh- uh, shoe for the Georgia Bulldogs. So we have the uh, shoe to show for today. And if you look on here, it's first of all, it's a really cool thing. It's got the score of the title game on the tongue of the shoe, which is a great thing to see. But as George on tap points out, it is a shiny silver on the, you know, like the exterior of the shoe. So if you can do that for a leather shoe, why couldn't you do that for football pants? He asked the question. I think it's a provocative one. And hopefully eventually we will get an answer. But until then, we will give Georgia on tap a golden shoe for today. We'll also remind you that on tap for the Gators, more misery. Uh, it's been 4,911 days since they've won a national championship. Uh, and that's going to be continuing for a long time to come. And 129 days from now, dogs back in Jacksonville beating up on the Gators again. We will see you tomorrow. That is our Gatorator countdown, by the way. And we will see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. And on the podcast, I'm going to have the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. We'll take your comments here at uh, dognation.com and on Twitter at dognationdaily. Dog01, happy about C.J. Allen saying uh, that he's a four-star recruit and climbing. What's not mentioned is the kid's character. The comparison is Nick Chubb. The kid runs track. After a recent meet, this kid was up in the stands helping clean up the stadium. So that's not a requirement, mind. You're just uh, a kid that takes pride in everything that he does. Y'all be happy about this commitment. The kid's going to be a stud. But that's great to hear from Dog01. On that point, you know, someone who can kind of give what apparently is a first-person perspective on what the young man is as a player. And a couple of things, like I'm very into that kind of deal of, you've heard me say before that how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you're the kind of young athlete that takes pride in, you know, how your track looks, how your stadium facility looks, that's the kind of pride you probably take in everything. So I think it does speak to what Allen probably is as a young guy. And the other thing here that, if you're a Georgia fan, I think you ought to be really comforted by right now, is that clearly the name of the game in college football is elite talent. You have to have it to compete. And if you don't, I don't care what kind of guys you have, what kind of intangible qualities they bring to the table, or how good you are as a coach, if you don't have the requisite talent, you're just simply going to fall by the wayside. But in that category of guys who are talented enough to play at the SEC level, talented enough to play at the high college football level, that Georgia has gotten so good at attracting those kinds of players, it is now more easily able to be selective about the kinds of elite talents that it brings into the program. 
a lot of programs are just so desperate for very good players or potentially good players they'll take you no matter what even if you might be kind of a bad guy and oftentimes you end up regretting that but you've got to roll the dice on that because you've got to be able to get elite players into the program well in the case of georgia it's gotten so good having more elite players who want to play here than spots available for them that all of a sudden now between a you know high four-star player and another high four-star player the question becomes well who's the best locker room fit who's the best you know player that's going to be additive to our culture here and that's one of the things that that george is getting really good at cultivating if you're a uga fan i think you ought to be really happy about that that's a great comment from dog one and i love great comments like that i would encourage all of you to send yours in oftentimes uh maybe you sit and you listen to the show and listen if that's all you ever want to do that is fine it is you're absolutely free to do nothing but listen we don't ask anything from you but if you would like to participate in the conversation during this part of the show just hit a uh you know, a line on uh, dognation.com or to me on Twitter at dognationdaily. Most of you obviously listen to the show a different way via Apple or Spotify or something like that. But if you're at dognation.com and you see the podcast post pop up, just click into it and go down to the bottom and kind of write your comment in. I'd love to read it on the air. Frankly, the more comments we get, the more fun it makes doing this portion of the show. So that's my encouragement to you, to those of you who listen to this part of the show i certainly appreciate that and uh thanks for checking out our friends at rs andrews there as well rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs maybe let them tune your air conditioning unit back up to factory fresh specs it's hot right now your ac unit may be old uh, at the end of its shelf life but maybe new life could breathe be breathed into it from our friends at rs andrews so find them online at rsandrews.com for a lot more on that all right have a great day everybody we'll see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by breda pest management we'll see you then